on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with former Collingwood AFLW footballer Georgia Walker, Oxford University footballer Rachel Patterson, the Portland Sockeyes Jessica Blecker, and our Sanford Women's Report with Alison Schiller. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 10th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018. Our fourth season of doing these podcasts, our 101st episode overall. And a friendly reminder, you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And don't forget for all the latest women's footy news to head to girlsplayfooty.com and check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our first guest on the line this week was a former Victoria Country under-18s captain. She's a former Collingwood AFLW footballer and now finds herself with St Kilda's Southern Saints in the VFLW competition for 2018. I speak of Georgia Walker and it's great to have her on the line. Georgia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Uh, I should say, first of all, Welcome back to Australia, because if I'm correct, just recently you spent a little time in Cambodia. I did. I spent about 10 days over with um, a lady named Shiloh Curtis, who's, you know, big, powerful movement in um, helping the AFLW get to where it is now. And she is a pilot trip. So I went away on a bit of a holiday with her tour, which was very, very good. And how enlightening was that for you and um, your, I guess, outlook on the world as part of her own journey tours? It was incredible. I'd been to Cambodia once before with school in year nine and to go back um, with her to our own journey, it incorporates a whole lot of like meditation and reflection and you really like delving, you're going with seven or eight strangers and really delve into your values and that type of stuff. And some of the conversations you have can be quite personal, but to be able to do that in a third world country like Cambodia, it was an an experience that you couldn't give up and highly recommend that a promotion while we're at it to, for anyone who's listening to do it, it is a hundred percent worthwhile to see the world and do some traveling and as well, you know, be able to discover yourself a bit as well. So let's take a step back in time. We're talking about 2008, <laughs> 2009. You first pulled on the footy boots with the Rye footy club. What's your earliest memories of that? Oh, Oh, that's a hard one. I remember, I think it was my first game in under 10s. We were playing at Red Hill, and it's what they call the chip oval. It's one of the bumpiest, curviest-looking ovals you'll find. And back then, uh, my sister was a part of it. My dad was coaching. And I just remember it just absolutely belted down with rain. The field was muddy. I probably only got like one or two touches. But I just remember that weather and that sting moment my first game, like, I'm playing football in the rain. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it, it led you onto a long journey. You played many years at the Ryan yeah. Football Club. And, and you're one of the generation where, as we talk to many uh, women that we've interviewed that are in their mid to late 20s and older, they had to stop their football career at about 12 or 13 and then take it up again at 16 or later. For you, you yeah. were lucky. You were able to play through all those years junior football, first of all with the boys and then with the youth girls at Rye. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was very fortunate in the sense, um, uh, well, firstly, after I'd finished with the boys and I had an amazing team there and very supportive, um, so after I'd finished under 14, so it was actually no girls team for me to go to. So my parents and a couple other um, people like Gary Sanford down at Bendigo Bank at Rye really helped push to create the first girls team and we'll call the MPJ, or Monitor Peninsula Youth Girls Team, so almost a... Um, an interleague for the Mornington Peninsula of 14 to 18-year-olds. We play, played out of the Southeast Juniors competition. And so that was where I was lucky enough to be able to continue playing football, travelling out to Mornington to train and then uh, Cranbourne to play. And then two years later, after being in that competition, my parents, again, especially my mum, were really instrumental in creating the MPJFL for the girls' league. So we went straight in after that. I was able to go play youth girls. I was fortunate enough to be able to captain the girls and be a part of the first ever well we won back-to-back grand finals at that team so I got to go back and wear the ride jumper which I was so grateful for um but yeah so lucky enough to be able to follow through straight from the boys um but it was at that stage where it wasn't the girls team wasn't there for us already in our hands not like we have have 
we had some incredible people who worked really hard to be able to create those teams for us, for me and other girls alike, to be able to continue playing. Like in anything, there's only one ever first stop, and maybe it's a bit hard to judge because you're only a few years away from it, so it'll probably mean more yeah. when you're 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. But how does it feel to be that photo on the wall in the club rooms? You're the captain of that first Rise Youth Girls team and their first premiership. Oh, it was it was really emotional actually. Like you know, I'd been I grew up for like from when I was nine playing at this Rye club and being a girl playing football. When I was that age, it wasn't it wasn't common. I was one of maybe two on the whole peninsula who played, and this club really you know pushed me on and spurred me on to chase my dreams of playing AFL and continue playing football and. To be able to actually go back, playing the jumper, had the same number as what I did, and then create history and create this new team and friendships with all these girls, to go back and win the premiership as a captain, it was an incredible experience. And I, yeah, absolutely honoured to be a part of something like that. Now, we've got a little bit more on Ride, but we'll come back to that a little bit later yeah. on. Um, That's right. The TAC Cup uh, girls' competition is now running with all the academies involved. You were there in the early yeah. days when there's only about uh, half a dozen or so. You played out of the... Danny Nong Stingrays, and you had yet another honour of being able to captain the Stingrays <laughs> and lead them to a premiership, defeating the Sandringham Dragons. Yes, that was incredible in itself. So my first year at TAC, I was actually at Sandy Dragons before Stingrays came across, and then they'd finally built up that Stingrays team, and I was fortunate enough to be able to captain them in their inaugural year and the second year as well running, and that, in that second year, that's when they started um, the TAC competition itself and had the grand final, and... To be able to captain that uh, in the first place and be able to give that opportunity was incredible. And then to be a part of that first win in the grand final against Sandy, they were kind of our nemesis um, or our enemies, as you call it. And it was an incredible experience and absolutely honoured to be a part of an amazing coaching staff. And a lot of those coaches from Stingrays are now coaching in the AFL. And there's a few girls that were in that team as well playing AFL. It's just it's an incredible honour to be bestowed upon. If I'm correct, I think Scott Gowans was coaching that Stingrays team. Yeah, he was. He was, yeah. And, of course, he's now, as we know, coaching for Melbourne Uni this year and then for North Melbourne. He'll be coaching in 2019. So congratulations to Scott on that front. Absolutely. And uh, again, to you about Scott, of course, he was a coach of Vic Country. You managed to play at Vic Country and you were part of <laughs> yeah. the first ever Vic Country side that won because they had a, they had a tough going for the first few years there. Yeah, so country was seen as, you know, the um, we weren't as, a, as strong a side as what Metro were. Metro were very successful, um, you know, and won a lot of um, grand finals and stuff. And it just became, um, so I started out at Metro and then with our league change, I'd gone across the country because I'm in a country region down at Rye. And from then, like I just, you know, myself and the other girls would come across, we really just wanted to build this uh, incredible culture, a winning culture and, you know, increase our professionalism and, Scotty worked really well and worked really hard at that with a lot of the other coaches. And as time went on, um, you know, we worked harder as individuals. And in that second year of being at country, in that year that I was captained, you know, we had an incredible pre-season. We had an incredible um, bunch of athletes in our team. And to be able to pull off that first win, because I'd only been a part of country for two years, there was likes of Lily Misson and Bella Eyre who had been a part of that system for four or so years since it started and never won a game and to win that game was it was very emotional and it was an incredible game to be a part of it truly was and of course we know the country went on to bigger and better things in the next year uh, taking out yeah. the title as well so fantastic to see that improving victorian country women's football as we as we headed into the 2016 draft over 140 names were going to be called out at that yep. particular stage, your name wasn't. What, what was the feeling at that stage where you'd been a captain of Vic Country, there would have been an expectation to be picked up, but you were overlooked at that moment? Yeah, so um, in that draft, there was, you know, disappointment, to be honest. I'd, you know, I'd worked quite, quite hard and I'd thought of what I've had a rather successful year um, and to not being called out, it was kind of like, wow, it was almost a reality check or something of sorts. I'd didn't know how to react. I was quite upset and probably disappointed more in myself but that I hadn't been able to exceed the coach's expectations or be able to get signed on. But then at the end of the day, you know, it was the first draft and there was certain players in the inaugural year that coaches were looking for. And I was like, you know, that's that's what was meant to be and I've just got to get back and work 
twice as hard off the track during pre-season to be able to try and aim for the draft the next year. As we know, in December, unfortunately for the Collingwood Magpies, Kendra Hile did come down with another ACL injury. Yeah. Um, as, as we know, as we speak at this very moment, Kendra's doing her rehab and looks like she'll be good to go for the VFLW season with Essendon. Uh, but yeah. at, at, at that moment, she's gone down, so they need to replace her. The phone call yeah. gets made to you. Do you recall that day, that moment? I do. So prior to that, I was a part of the um, the VFL Academy or the Victorian Academy, State Academy. And um, so I'd been a part of that. And it was we had a practice match against Collingwood on a Friday, Arvo, I think it was. And uh, so they, Collingwood got the chance to look at some of the girls from our academy. And from then, they were going to pick their... Um, their player as a replacement for Kendra. And it was four to, and I left the game. I was like, oh, I didn't have a best game. I wasn't confident knowing that I'd um, had spoken to Collingwood prior. I'd gone and had a rookie at the tryout and was overlooked again. And so I kind of didn't think anything about it. I didn't want to get my hopes up or anything. And it was a Tuesday afternoon just before I had training at Seaford and Wayne had called me. I was like, oh, this is strange. Like every now and then me and Wayne would chat and have a, like check in on my footy and whatnot. And he called and he said that I was chosen. I was like, in, I was in pure shock. I was, couldn't cry. I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. It was incredible that it was literally four days before Christmas. And I was like, I'd finally been given this opportunity. It was incredible. Hashtag best Christmas present ever. Literally. <laughs> That's what I was going and telling everyone. <laughs> is there a bit of guilt behind that as well? Thinking, oh, like anyone at Christmas time, I'm about to tuck into this big Christmas feast and, uh-oh, I actually have pre-season training I've got to get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. I remember on Christmas Day, I was like, I got up, we had our big Christmas breakfast. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym. So I went to the gym for a little bit, did one of the like our sessions on the holidays. Then we had our big lunch. Um, big Christmas lunch. I'm like, oh, I just went to gym. Now I've got to do this. It's kind of a little bit guilty, but I was like, it, you had to live in it. <laughs> well, you managed to have your first preseason training at Collingwood. H- how did it feel there? Did things click in like you normally do at the academy programs that you were with, with the TAC and, and the VFL women's? Or did you find the intensity went to yet another level at the Pies? Um, oh, I was very, um, I had high expectations of the level of training coming into Collingwood. Like, being a part of the elite academies that I had, you know, I'd had experienced some very um, intense pre-seasons and stuff. So I was expecting it to be next level up and which it was, it was not only um, the intensity of it, but the actual skills. I was surrounded by some incredible players and some big names and which is quite intimidating um, as an 18 year old, but and coming in late as well. But yeah, it did step up at notch and it, like I'd never had to, um, like for me, it was like every training was a tryout to get a game. That's like what if, and I'd never had that before. It was like you know you had your three individual days of tryout, then you get selected, then it's just training, and it was re- yeah you really had to push yourself hard, and then that was something that I wasn't really used to, but it was an incredible experience. And of course, being a Collingwood AFLW footballer like many, that means you have your own Wikipedia page now, which uh, is, has all the stats, including which they show your height at five foot five inches, midfielder, defender, debut round two. Collingwood versus Brisbane at South Pine Sports Complex. Do you remember the occasion yes. of stepping out onto the ground for the first time oh, in a Collingwood jumper? Absolutely. So I'm actually a Brisbane supporter as well. So that was uh, just a little cherry on top for me, being able to play against, you know, the team that I barracked for. But um, it was that uh, that week, because we flew out to Brisbane, my family had told me, like, because I'm a eldest of four siblings so rather expensive for the whole family to fly up and I was like oh that's fair enough so they weren't actually coming and so you know you debut in a game and you usually get your family and friends there or whoever to present you the jump pass so I was just expecting Wayne the coach and maybe Steph the captain to present it to me and I had my family and a really close family friend um, and his parents come walk in and present me the jumper. I was already in tears when I saw them, just the fact they'd all flown up to watch me in surprise and cheer me on in my first game. That was incredible. So then going onto the field in that Collingwood jumper, it was like everything I'd worked for had paid off. It was, it was a dream come true. It truly was. 
Now, we thought you might say that you followed the Brisbane Lions because um, <laughs> courtesy of the good people at Google and a little bit of searching, we've discovered a um, web page last modified, what is it, the 7th of August 2011. Congratulations, Georgia, 50 games. Now, yes. in that photo, of course, is uh, back in the days we've got the long ponytail and, of course, you've got the ride jumper on, which is the same as the Port Melbourne colours. Favourite yeah. position, half back. Funniest teammate, Jacko. Do you, are you still in, are you still in contact with Jacko? Yeah, me and I'm in contact with a lot of those boys. Still, I actually work with Jacko um, down at where down at the Seminole Hotel. So yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Favorite food, chocolate. Have you had to give that up, or are you still addicted to it? Considering obviously you know, you're a professional footballer. Everything's in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I can understand that being a Brisbane Lions supporter, your favourite player, Jonathan Brown. Yeah, hundred percent. He's absolute. He's a legend. He's a legend. And one final one as well. The question was asked there, which I love: Mum's cooking or Macca's? You've gone with Mum's cooking. So, dubbing your mum, what what is your favourite thing that she cooks for you? Mum. Oh, mum always cooks a mean spag bowl and everyone says their mum cooks the best, but my mum definitely cooks the best spag bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so your Collingwood career, two matches, uh, eight disposals um, for your career. It comes to the end of the season and yeah. as much as everyone wants to stay on, unfortunately the reality of football is they have to, it's compulsory in the rules that some players have to be delisted yeah. to make space for others. Unfortunately yeah. for you, the call is made. Do you recall yep. your exit meeting and some of the things they said that they want to see you work on if you're to come back to AFLW level? Yeah, so mine was an interesting case because I was a replacement player and came after or after Christmas. I wasn't actually in the first place allowed to stay on the list. Wayne and the coaches there tried to work with the AFL to, um, with special rules and stuff regarding the draft and stuff. But So coming into the team, I knew I wasn't going to be kept on the list in the first place, um, which was unfortunate, but, you know, that's the way the dice rolls. And um, my exit interview was very positive. You know, I had um, exceeded expectations for them and I was given a few things to work on. Um, throughout the year at Seaford where I ended up playing and, you know, that's so what I did. I worked on my strengths and my both my weaknesses and really tried to push myself um, to be able to get redrafted at the end of the year. For Seaford for the uh, 2017 VFLW season, we could say it was fairly unlucky. Injuries just yeah. ravaged the side, um, particularly yeah. after a great 2016. Everyone, I think, was expecting a bit more out of Seaford, expecting some improvement. But as we said, once injuries devastate a side, it can only go one way. And unfortunately, you didn't get a win. How tough was it trying to get through that year, particularly, A, after playing a full se full season of AFLW and doing all that training yeah. and then having to back up to play state league football? Um, personally, it was a real struggle. Um, I'd really struggled, um, like with enjoying my football, um, but Seaford were really good and really supportive and it was kind of, as a team as well, we just had to take each game as it came and I think there was a lot of expe expectation, like you said, for Seaford to, um, perform as, cause they were very, you know, they had a very good year before, um, but I guess with that as all, as as Seaford improved, all the other teams improved as well, and they were quite top full with AFL players, unlike us. We only had a couple, and it was one of those things that we improved, everyone else just got better, and so it was one of those things we all had to work on. We had little goals to work on each week to be able to keep us sane and not turn on each other after not winning a game, and it was the little goals we were able to achieve which made us successful in our own eyes. Now, as we talked about at the top, obviously you went away to Cambodia over the summer yeah. break. How important has it been for you that, okay, you're not playing AFLW, but to be able to have this break from football to now come into 2018 VFLW afresh with the Southern Saints? Um, it was extremely important for me, I think, because for a lot of, a lot of, as a lot of, sorry, um, girls playing football, no, football for us at this stage is almost a yearly thing. You don't get much time off and when you do get the time off, you really need to take hold of it and make the most of it to be able to recuperate, make sure you're not um, going mentally crazy and footy-footy all the time. It's you really got to appreciate the time off that you did and especially like going on holidays like Cambodia really helped me, you know, relax and refresh myself before coming back into the big season that at St Kilda we're hoping to have.
And how do you feel to be the face of the Southern Saints, particularly in November when the video is out there of you being the first signing for the St Kilda Football yeah. Club? Um, oh, it's an absolute honour to be a part of St Kilda in the first place and to be able to be a part of their uh, their historical journey um, through VFL and then AFL, hope, um, who knows, in 2020. Um, it's an incredible club and they've um, really provided the VFL girls um, a whole lot of new opportunities with the coaches, the you know the calibre of coaches we've got is incredible, um, access to the facilities almost whenever we want, interaction with the men's, they've just been so welcoming and it's been, oh, it's been an incredible experience to be a part of already and the season hasn't even started. I guess that does pose a little bit of a tricky question because um, Geelong and North Melbourne come in next year, but for St Kilda yeah. and Richmond, they come in the year after. So for you, yeah. w- were you personally um, a, a go for the draft for this year or will you maybe wait another year and then hopefully have St Kilda pick you up? What, what's your thinking with that? Oh, absolutely. I um, will be going for the draft this year. I think, um, you know, I've spoken to Singleton about that and all they want is for their players to be playing football at the highest level they can, especially AFL. Of course, they want us girls to be playing for them, but at the end of the day, as long as we're playing, they're going to be happy. So 100% I'll be going into the draft this year and if it happens, then it happens. Um, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I'll just go back again and um, have another big pre-season. But, yeah. And finally, one last one before we let you go. Probably the toughest question. You mentioned earlier about playing with uh, Lily Mithin and Bella Eyre. You were playing through a youth girls era where there were so many great players at Vic Metro, at Queensland, at WA. In your opinion, yeah. who were some of the best footballers that you played against? Oh, that's a real tough question. Putting me on the spot now. Um, some of the best players that I'd played against. Uh, Courtney Hodder, I'm Brian, remember she was from Queensland, one of the quickest, slickest players I'd ever come across and very tough as well for a small girl. Um, obviously, the likes of Lily Mithin and Catherine Smith um, have been very successful and some of the most consistent, consistently successful players across those youth girl years. Um, the likes of Jazzy Grierson down at Melbourne as well. We got really close and to see her, um, she used to actually be quite a shy uh, player and individual herself when she started out at Rays and to see her develop and come across she's probably one of the toughest defenders I've come across as well when we played against her and watch her as well um, and Brippa Nietzsche as well at Collingwood she, when she was in youth girl she was an incredible player and you see how hard she goes in on game day now at Collingwood um, yeah so I'd probably say those girls are probably some of my best <laughs> Well, Georgia, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best in the VFLW season with the Southern Saints and when the draft rolls around in October this year. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're listening to Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne and on the RSN Racing and Sport app. Also available as a podcast via Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy. One of the famed rivalries in the United Kingdom is Oxford University and Cambridge University. And who would think that they're about to continue that rivalry in women's Australian rules football? They played their first ever match against each other this Saturday, March 10th. And it's great to have on the line a woman who's helped get women's footy off the ground at Oxford University. She's a former WA State footballer. Her name is Rachel Patterson. Rachel, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Great to have you on the line. Now, before we go into your footy career, how on earth did you end up at Oxford? Oh, well, about five years ago, uh, I decided I wanted to do my PhD overseas and applied for a bunch of scholarships and universities and ended up getting a scholarship to come to Oxford. So I've been doing my PhD here for five years and just finished last year. Fantastic. And we know that you're a WA Rhodes Scholar. And I think Brunette Leckage told me that um, yourself and uh, the Oxford team that you'll have running out could be the um, highest IQ football side ever to take the park. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a good bunch of girls. Well, before we get into all the nitty-gritty of that, let's take a step back for the moment and let's look at your personal football career. You started playing in WA. Uh, What year was that and and who did you lace lace up the boots for? Uh, So I actually uh, started playing for the Claremont Piranhas back in 2007. Uh, Yeah, that was when they were playing in the the red and white of Inaloo. But 
now they're the blue and gold and they're actually officially affiliated with uh, the Claremont men's team in the waffle. Yes, known as the Claremont Tigers, as uh, we did an article on that uh, just last year. That stage with WA football, was it, um, I think there was only about six or seven women's teams back then in about 2008, 2009? Yeah, yeah, and a couple of divisions, but I, I believe they've uh, got more and more options for the younger players coming through now as well. Absolutely, and of course yourself, uh, you managed to play um, state football for WA at some of the national carnivals. Can you describe that feeling of uh, pulling on a WA jumper? Yeah, that was great. That was an amazing experience. My first nationals was over in Canberra in 2007 and just playing in that team with such talented players. Um, that was when the likes of Chelsea Randall was just just old enough to uh, get in the team. And yeah, such an inspiring group of players and coaches and having the extra support uh, to try to be the best we could be on the day was fantastic. As we said, years later, you'd find yourself in the UK at uh, Oxford. Of course, uh, we've got this big game coming up against Cambridge, and I think people are shocked to hear the famous schools that, of Oxford and Cambridge with this big rivalry playing a game of women's Aussie Rules football. Can you go back to when you first helped begin Aussie Rules get off the ground at Oxford? What was that process like? Well, as soon as I decided that I wanted to go to the UK, I was looking at whether or not they had teams. And Oxford's actually, I think, the oldest club outside of Australia that still exists, but only for the men. They hadn't had a women's team. So the first thing I did was email the guys and say, hey, you know, I want to play footy. Can I come down and try to start a women's team? And they were super supportive and I trained with the guys and it took quite a while to get critical mass to get a women's team going. But... In about 2015, we had our first game. Uh, and I think that was because the London's Women League, Women's Leagues had just started, so we had teams to play against. It's really hard to get girls to come down and train and learn the game if you can't really promise any games. Indeed. And as you said, I mean, th- this is all pre the London League starting up. So how did you try to go about recruiting? Um, I mean, we're lucky, I guess, we're the days of online. We're talking last week to the founders of the state leagues back in the 80s and 90s who would just have to hope for a newspaper article then stand by a landline phone waiting for someone to call. So I guess for you, it was just simple as something like starting a Facebook page. What, what was that? And, and what were the inquiries like coming back? Yeah, starting a Facebook page, but also a lot of word of mouth and friends of friends and getting the guys who were involved in the club to bring along friends or housemates or just talk to women playing different sports and tell them about footy and get them to come for a kick. Because if you get them to come for a kick, it's much easier to convince them how much fun it is. Absolutely. And I guess the one thing that we're interested to see is what the makeup is of the side, particularly to start with at Oxford. Are you finding it's predominantly Australians, former students, or obviously Aussie students that have come over there to study in the UK? Or have you had much success of being able to try to convince the locals and others from around the world that are studying at Oxford to pull on a footy jumper? Yeah, there's a huge variety. There are a lot of Aussies and in the women's team at least. A lot of Aussie women who've never played before but they kind of feel a bit homesick and want to seek out the Australian community. But we've also got a lot of people from the UK and then we've got people from all across the world. We've got Americans, Canadians, French, Norwegian, Italian, all sorts. And what are those numbers like at the moment? How many do you have to train with and to choose from for your side to take on Cambridge? Well, we've actually got almost too many players. Um, there's going to be a big bench on the weekend. We've got about 23 or 24, and I think Cambridge only have about 17 signed up, so hopefully they can get a few more numbers so we don't have to have too many on the bench. And as you said, you've had this side going for a couple of years now, this project at Oxford. Have you had the opportunity, um, because obviously you're not a team entered in the London competition, to take on other sides, whether it be from up around the Birmingham area, we obviously know of Nottingham, for example. Have you had much of an opportunity to get out in the field wearing the Oxford colours? 
Yeah, we played Birmingham quite a lot because they're fairly close. And there's also some other university teams and they have the Fitzpatrick Cup every year. Um, that's been in Cork. And so we played in that last year and there's quite a lot of Irish teams uh, that play in that. So, yeah, and the London teams, because they're just gearing up for their season, they want a couple of pre-season matches. So we usually get a couple of games against the London teams as our season winds down and theirs is just getting started. And I'm interested to note that this game you got coming up on March 10th against um, Cambridge is that you'll actually be the main game with the men being the curtain raiser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as it should be, you know. <laughs> the the guys, um, it's going to be their 98th varsity match against Cambridge, but being the first women's match, we really want to um, showcase the women's game. And so the, the men are going to have... a their little curtain raiser match, uh, and then the women's going to be the main event. So that's really exciting. As well as you mentioned earlier with Cambridge, only having about 16 or 17 at the moment, what's their program been like? When did that finally get off the ground and how have they been developing to try and get a side up? So the Cambridge women's team, they started, they had a few players last year, but they didn't have enough uh, to put a full side together to play against us. So instead, um, we formed a combined Oxford-Cambridge side and we played against one of the London teams. So I think that was the first game that the Cambridge women had played in. Uh, and then in the 12 months since then, they've got a team together and they've played uh, quite a few games. Uh, yeah, so it's really exciting. Once they had that first game under their belt, they got up and running pretty quickly. That's good news to see that hopefully um, that this will be the first of many games for them. What is the plan going forward from this match? Is there going to be a regular schedule put forward for Oxford to play? Well, so our, um, our season runs during the university year over here, which is October, and we finish around about now with the, the varsity match. So um, I think some of the girls are really keen to get more games and they might go down and play for some of the London teams over the summer because they don't want to have such a long off-season. So, yeah, we might um, put the boots on down in London. Well, I was about to ask that question. Uh, have you spotted what club you'd like to be running around with in the 2018 AFL <laughs> London Women's League? Oh. Uh, I wouldn't want to say one or the other. Whoever needs the numbers on the day. So uh, there's the call out. Rachel Patterson, a former WA State footballer, very talented footballer. Any London club, make sure you go through Oxford and get in contact with her. It's fantastic to see, isn't it, that university football can get up in the UK because I guess we can compare it to, say, the US college system because there's so much other sport out there and sport leading to professional sport, which is more of a way of life in the United States, we don't see the women from 18 to about 21, 22, 23 playing our game of Aussie rules. Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, culture over here. I think people get um, really committed to one sport, for instance, like rugby is huge over here, uh, soccer. And so convincing people to come over from their preferred code is a bit of a challenge. Indeed. Now, Rachel, just before we let you go, if people want more information to know when and where this game is happening for Oxford taking on Cambridge for the first ever time in a women's Aussie rules match, where can they find more details? So they can look us up on Facebook, um, Oxford University Australian Rules Football Club, uh, and the varsity match is advertised as an event on there. It's happening this Saturday. The men are playing at 12 and the women at 2 in Oxford. So get along and check that one out. Rachel, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best as you keep trying to push uh, women's footy at the university level over there in the UK. And best of luck, which with, which with whatever club that you find in the AFL London Women's League this year. Thanks very much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Our next guest on the line was a member of the USA Freedom Team that took part in the International Cup 2017. She's from Portland, Oregon, but right now she finds herself closer to Portland in Victoria. I speak of Jessica Blecker, and it's great to have her on the line. Jessica, how are you? Hey, Peter. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here on the line and joining us again. Last time we spoke to you was at the Nationals, but we want to take a little deeper look into your footy journey. Now, if I'm correct, this is your third visit out to Australia. 
This is, yeah, third time out. And I think four years ago, you were originally in Fremantle. How did that all come about? Yeah, so I was studying abroad with the University of Portland, and we were over at University of Notre Dame in Frio. And um, they put together a little lesson learning how to play footy for all the study abroad kids, and I just absolutely fell in love with the game. So I had to keep playing when I got back to the States. Did you uh, sign up at a club at all when you were originally out in WA? No, they had us. Um, I believe it was South Frio was the team, and they just had their coaches come out and teach us. But no, I never signed up for an actual club. And how did you stumble across uh, the Portland Sockeyes and soon to be the famous Heather Serpico? <laughs> um, so one of my best friends who study abroad with me, she um, found him actually. And so she told me that I should go out there and train with him again. And of course I did. I wanted to play more footy. So um, we did that for a couple years. It was only two of us. It was just uh, Simone Shepard and me. Um, Martha came over from Frio for a little bit. But then once we got Heather, we kind of really exploded. It's been amazing, hasn't it? Because when you joined these um, Sockeyes, that would have been probably about 2015. And I think in that time, in the three times you've gone to nationals, all in combination with other teams, you haven't lost the Division Two title. No, yeah. So it's been absolutely great. We're on a winning streak. But um, hopefully we'll take that to Division One this year where the numbers are looking like we can bring a full team. So we're excited. Indeed, everyone is for uh, the advancement of the, the Portland Sockeyes because just quietly you're destroying every team in Division 2 at the moment, <laughs> which I think you're enjoying a, a heck of a lot. You got the opportunity during um, 2017 to represent your country, the uh, USA Freedom, at IC17. Can you tell us what that experience was like? It was an absolute honour to be able to represent the United States. Um, just a lot of learning more footy because you're playing at a higher level you're playing against we played against Canada and Ireland which are number one and two we also played against Great Britain which are number three so it was just so incredible to be able to play against the whole world in footy and kind of show off what the United States had to bring do you think anyone became better on that tour they grew and learnt more from the game being out here during those two to three weeks I would say we all learned a little bit. We had higher levels of play. I mean, coming from the United States, we're not like a lot of the times we're playing nine sides or we're playing with the men and it's just not a full women, women. So I think even just having five games at a highly competitive, all women, 18 aside, brought skills and life learnt lessons for all of us. And as we say, when you come together as a representative side, whether it be your country or obviously here in Australia, whether you represent your league or whatever, it's an opportunity to play with people you normally play against. So you get to learn more about your opponents. Um, Who did you find you probably struck up more of a friendship with or got to know better on this tour? Um, I mean, I got to know um, a lot of the girls on the U.S. team a lot. Um, uh, the New York Magpies became some of my friends. And, of course, I had a little rivalry because I stole Heather from them. Uh, page kick over in Minnesota, so we have that connection. Minnesota's actually going to Portland this year, the men and women, to have a little competition. So we're kind of – I feel like this IC kind of connected the whole USA and hopefully get some more uh, distance tours going on. And I do have to point out to fans, as we mentioned uh, last year, one of my favourite nicknames of all time was when Minnesota and Portland teamed up for a tournament. Minnesota, the Freeze, Portland, the Sockeyes, and they called themselves the Frozen Fish. <laughs> which, yes. Which I think was absolutely brilliant. So we, we speak to you right now. You're in Melbourne, Australia. You've only just landed. You actually came in via Darwin in January. You're out here as part of an exchange program. Can you tell us what that entails and how that was formed and came about? Yeah, so I've known Tony Fairhead since I studied abroad over in Frio, and he's been wanting me to get out here and kind of start this exchange program. And so finally it worked out. Um, but I went up to Darwin first because they run their season from November through uh, February. Um, so it was just a good way to get a little extra footy, a lot of wet weather footy because it's the middle of their monsoon season. Um, and just some extra training before I popped down here. So they, United States kind of helped set all that up. They set me up with an amazing team up there at Nightcliffe, um, and they're setting me up down here too. So They set you up with the Nightcliffe Tigers, who are having a bit of a tough season. They're down the bottom end of the table. How did you find that standard of football in the NTFL? Because in one of those games, and I think it was the last game, you actually came up against the reigning premiers, the Darwin Buffets. 
Yeah, so we lost that game by nearly 100 points, but we still brought it. It's it's amazing how well you can still play and have those numbers on the board. But the first game we played kind of had a similar one. The second game we almost won. Um, You're seeing a lot of similarities with the United States, as in Nightcliff had most of these girls on the team. It was their first season ever playing footy, so they're still learning how to drop the ball, how to hand pass the ball, how to play it. So I kind of came in having helped coach the and teach the girls and. Portland how to play so I feel like it was a good experience um they're definitely going to have a better second season all these girls have all these skills so hopefully they're going to bring it and they're they're going for the finals next year and can you tell us the style of football uh, that you were playing for Portland and what roles they actually got you to play within the Nightcliff team um so in Portland I'm a co-captain with Heather and so I kind of had that role of helping out and teaching. I play in the center a lot. I'm an on-baller, so I kind of have the the voice on the field to kind of help people out. And when I went up to Nightcliff, I um, wasn't a captain, but I um, still played in the center a lot and had that voice. I was also playing um, in the back and kind of helped direct some of the girls on the back line how to play. Um, but it was it was an amazing experience overall up there. I loved it. Were you in awe of some of the Indigenous talent playing in the game? Because the one thing everyone keeps talking about up and down, whether it be men or women, is uh, is you see them. They're skinny as a stick, some of these Indigenous footballers, but they just move like lightning and their silky skills. Oh, my gosh. Incredible skills. Um, it was funny, actually, in Broome, we were talking about it, and a lot of the Indigenous girls play without cleats on or boots. Um, which I find funny. My feet would be in so much pain. But you just see them out there and they can catch the ball and then they're just like lightning bolts out there. And I feel like playing with them has also helped increase our skills because you're just playing at that higher level. And we should point out from Darwin, you went to do a, uh, a footy trip afterwards to Broome. Can you tell us about the Australian culture that they've shown you over the month or so that you've been out here? Yeah, well, everyone has just taken me in and treated me like family, even though... You know, I'm this random American who just showed up. Um, even in Broome, the two clubs that we played against, they took us in. We even hung out with some of the girls afterwards and the days after. Um, but the Australian culture has just taken me in and shown me so much love, and especially just around the sport that is my life kind of right now. It's been great. Are you shocked when you woke up one morning and there's your face splattered all over the back page of the famous NT News? Oh my gosh, it was funny. Everyone was sending me Snapchats. They're like, this is you. Look at this American flag. It's your face. Um, But no, it's kind of surreal that this is all happening right now. Um, Yeah, I have to send a copy back to my mom. She's waiting to see it. And for those that don't understand, the NT News here in Australia is uh, a larger-than-life daily newspaper in Darwin where not only do they keep a road toll, they keep a croc death toll as well. And if they can find a crocodile-related story on the front page, they will do it. It's it's an interesting, quirky newspaper. But as you said, you're all over the back page. I actually think they might have even spelt your surname wrong, so they owe you one for that. (laughs) Oh, I know. My mom was... My mom was laughing about that. But, you know, they're not the first person to ever call us a belcher. So uh... Uh, you'll be okay. But as you said, you've gone from Broome. You've come down here to Melbourne now to uh, continue your exchange program playing Aussie Rules football. Um, obviously, there's a lot of leagues and a lot of clubs to choose from. So what's the path from here? Yeah, so uh, the United States Advisory Board has kind of been looking over which teams to play for. And I actually am going to go to a couple of them today and tomorrow and just kind of figure put my feelers out and figure out which ones I like best and which ones fit with me best. Um, so yeah, they've been the ones driving this whole thing. And I am so thankful that they've helped me out because there's just so many teams to choose from and everything. Now, of course, I, I've heard on the grapevine, a couple of clubs that you're looking at, at least visiting anyway, include, I think the Keylor uh, football club out in the uh, Northwestern suburbs and the Pasco Vale Panthers out at Rayburn reserve. Yeah. So those are the two main teams that the United States uh, have, had connections with for me and so I'll be training with those guys this week and hopefully I love one of them and want to play for them all season. And I should point out as well that Pasco Vale played the USA Liberty in a uh, scratch match uh, about four years ago in one of the International Cup tours so there's a little uh, connection there. Um, Oh yeah. So so that that all works out lovely for you. Um, I believe you're actually basing yourself out of the Essendon area. Yeah, so that'll be kind of where I'm located. Both of those teams are in the Essendon District League, so I'll be kind of 
little north of town, but yeah. And of course, being out here, have you hooked yourself up with any other fellow North Americans, uh, particularly, for example, the Canadians? Uh, obviously, we've got Kendra Hile and uh, Valerie Moreau out here. Do you see yourself at least doing a training session and just to get the feel of state league football? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely kind of the direction I want to go. Um, see if someone will let me play some state league football. That would be an absolute honor to get up to that level. But we'll kind of see how, how I fare against these real Australians playing. Even the Americans, I know Katie's out here and those Canadians and there's a couple Irish girls, so. Of course, the American Connection, Katie Clatt down at Melbourne University, Katie out of Sacramento, and uh, the Irish girls, including Laura Dray, who normally play at um, at uh, Diamond Creek, but it'll be interesting to see if she plays at Casey this year. Those details still to be uh, sorted out. Um, you're normally a neurovascular nurse when you're back in the United States. So what are you doing, I guess, when I say with your free time and inverted collars in between <laughs> footy while you're out here for, I'm guessing, the next uh, possibly eight months? Yeah, so uh, becoming a nurse over here, as Katie would know, is kind of a difficult process. So for these eight months, I'll probably just do some bar work, cafe work. I've done that all through college, so it won't be an issue. Just something easy to fill my time when I'm not training and playing footy. And even though you're based out of Melbourne, are there other parts of Australia you're looking at visiting while you're out here? Oh, yeah. I definitely want to get out over to Frio again and kind of um, get that connection with the Australian football training because the study abroad program doesn't have it anymore. So I'm working with Tony Fairhead and the current people running that program to get it up. So want to make it out that way. Um, I've already been up to Darwin, and I want to go back up there again already um, and just see the East Coast. I really haven't seen much of that, so lots to do, so little time. And, of course, out at Fremantle at the moment, there is the uh, Canadian connection out that way with um, Caroline LeDuc signed up at this very moment with the East Fremantle Sharks. Well, Jess, we hope you enjoy your stay out here in Australia over the coming months. We wish you all the very best as you play either suburban or state league football. And uh, no doubt the Sockeyes will be uh, crossing their fingers that you'll be back home very shortly or possibly for another Nationals campaign when that happens in Racine, Wisconsin later this year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Peter. It was great. You're listening to Girls Play Footy. I'm Peter Holden. Time to find out everything that's happening women's footy in Adelaide, including the Crows and our Sandville W Report. And that's why it's great to have on the line from the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Absolutely fantabulous, Peter. Yourself? I do have a sneaking suspicion you're fantabulous <laughs> because one certain Adelaide Crows won again on the weekend. Yes, that's twice this year I've been able to be happy. Um, I'd like to keep that going for a little while longer. So uh, please, Crows. I do, I do hear that there's a little omen happening there that the two <laughs> wins they've had at Norwood Oval, you've been on the yes. ground both times. Yes. So I think it's pretty obvious. It's nothing to do with the player's skill or anything else like that. It's me being in the guard of honour that is getting the wins, getting the runs on the board. And even then, I actually was... Fortunate enough, thank you for the Adelaide Crows too, for the honour of presenting the match ball to the umpires. So I, I was nice to them, just to let you know. I was very nice to them. So I just said, have a great game. Hang on, you were nice to them. Let me check the free kick count just quickly to make yeah, sure that's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was already, I was already on to that, you see, because I thought, what do I do? And then I thought, no, the game hasn't been played yet. So no, the umpires actually were all very nice and friendly, so I will give them that. The other big if the umpires are happy, then I'm happy. The other big question out of that game is, are you aware of your quad? Um, yes. I have quad awareness. <laughs> I have hand awareness. I have ear awareness. I, I am aware that I have these parts of my body. Yes. <laughs> have they gone to the same people that Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay <laughs> did the, uncon- the conscious uncoupling crew and, yes. and just gone to, oh, what what yes. weird way can we describe this injury? Quad awareness. Yes. Uh, in all honesty, Flip didn't look 100% from first quarter, like on the ground even, because I'll be honest, we were sitting there going, geez, haven't seen Flip. She's been sitting on the bench a fair bit in the first quarter. That can't be good. And then sure enough, we see the stats and she's leading stack hitter on the ground at the end of the first quarter, so don't mind us. But um, yeah, she just you could see, and even when we went back later on, we watched the replay, you could see she just wasn't pushing through that quad. So hopefully the rest will get her up for the game up in Darwin, which is what 
we really want and need. Yes, just quickly on that for the Adelaide Crows, um, still technically in the grand final race, having Fremantle up at TIO Stadium in Darwin. And then in Uh the final round, uh, the Crows Uh played the last game of the season up against the Magpies in Melbourne at Olympic Park Oval. Both winnable games, but the the caveat to it is you actually need GWS to do you a favour and knock off the Bulldogs uh-huh. and the Lions in successive weeks, but not by too much, and you have to win by a fair bit against Frio and Collingwood. Simple, isn't it? Simple equation, really. Just got to love that way. You got to get about it. So, am I holding out a lot of hope? No. Um, we haven't been the best team, as much as it pains me to say. We haven't been the best two of the best teams all year. Um, do I want to get there? They absolutely. I mean, you, you saw the, the match there with Ruthie Wallace, three goals. None of them easy. She doesn't like simple, easy goals. She likes to fight and scrap and spin around the body and kick them on through there. And Celebration City, I love the way the girls celebrate their goals. Um, and I thought about that. I thought, man, they really you know go about it. But I thought there's not as, not tends to be not as many goals uh, in the women's game. Um, and why not celebrate every every little bit that you can get out there? Is it right if I just give you a couple of things on that particular game that I liked? Shoot. Shoot? Bang. Okay. One, I know you know I've been banging on about this particular player, and rightfully so, Eloise Jones, who I always just want to sing that song, um, Eloise, every time I hear her name, but they nicknamed her EJ. Kicking two goals, uh, got a rough conduct charge, and also a Rising Star nomination. So, EJ, she is a little pocket rocket and a jet. Love the way she goes about it and does not take a backward step, probably as the um, reprimand that she got shows. But anywho, Jasmine Hewitt, lovely hook shot on the right there for someone that's new to footy. Um, obviously, favourites, Chelsea Randall, nine votes again. And she's still five points currently in the lead for the coaches' votes, which I'm absolutely stoked about and hope she can go on with it. Um, and my amusing part for the day, Evie also got nine votes, but her he- head crunch with the Carlton player. Um, so she tried to take a bite out of little Carlton's loin chop, and poor loin chop went down with the claret and had to leave the field. And Evie Marinoff didn't, unbeknownst to her, she'd actually split her tongue that later required stitches. Still did not stop Evie from talking, just to let you know. Still kept going. <laughs> she, she, she couldn't stop. And, stop. and just quickly on that point with Elisa Caddo, media MVP, on our leaderboard, two Adelaide Crows players are there. Five votes off the top, Ebony Marinoff. Three votes Maybe. off the top, Chelsea Randall. Of course, we do a 5-4-3-2-1 for each game. Current player mm-hmm. at the top, by the way, on 15 votes is Kate Lunkins from Brisbane. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's good. As I said, I love seeing all the, the great players playing well. Um, I was happy that Darcy Vessio got left in the goal square yet again um, against the Crows. And mind you, she's, Peter, I know I said this last week, wasted talent if the ball's not getting down there enough. And her and Ange Foley actually was great to watch, uh, the battle that went on there. And Taylor Harris kicked a goal. They kicked one each respectively for the Blues. Um, Taylor Harris, but it was also when she got up the ground, got the ball, and she wasn't doing a set shot. We all know that poor Taylor, even 15 metres out dead in front, I'm not going to be as nervous as I would say of SEO. But on the run, when she doesn't have to think about it, she's much cleaner in front of goals. Um, it just seems such a shame. And I'll be honest with you, at the end of the game, some of those Blues players were leaving the ground in tears. And I really felt felt for them. And what I did really like, the 6,000-strong crowd there, everyone, when the girls came off, they, everyone cheered them. I gave them a clap and said, you know, don't worry, you'll be back next year and things like that. And both um, Taylor and uh, Darcy just turned around and said thank you to the crowd as well. So I thought that was really good and does my pitch to get Darcy Bessie at the Crows no harm whatsoever. Let's have a look at the Sanford <laughs> women's on that note. We moved to round five of the Sanford women's competition. Two games are yes, played sir. on the Friday night, one on the Saturday. First of all, on Friday night, West Adelaide 7-3-45, defeating Glenelg 2-7-19. Yeah, Glenelg Tide was actually releasing their coach earlier in the week, if you weren't aware of that. And they were taken over by Jason Farrell and Tammy Scott. Um, but unfortunately, 
for Donald Nell. Westies were coming off consecutive losses to South Adelaide and Melbourne, respectively, and they are super keen to keep in touch for the race to the finals. Uh, Crows' Abby Holmes suited up for Westies, keen to get back into the Crows, obviously, impressed with 21 touches and a goal. Another pocket rocket. Seems to be the theme this year of pocket rockets, or maybe that's just the word I like to use. Rochelle Martin, only one year in footy, channeling her inner noffy to register a staggering 15 tackles, a match-high 26 disposals, earning herself the Round 5 Powerade Breakthrough Player nomination. Rochelle, you little champion. Uh, Chelsea Biddle, always going about it. 16 disposals, 6 tackles and a goal. Jamie Tabb, the AFL Academy member, kicked a goal within the first two minutes of the game, sending off alarm bells. But the Tigers, though, vice captain Alexia Edwards, played probably her best game for the year. Unfortunately, it was 2-3. She couldn't get a couple more goals on the board, but she had seven marks and 12 disposals. Uh, let's have a look here. But no matter what they did, poor old Tigers, they couldn't stop a rampaging Westies that um, just want to keep going and getting into their finals. As you mentioned, 45-19. to 19. So really happy with leading disposals. Obviously, Rochelle Martin, Abby Holmes, Chelsea Biddle, Ali Evans is always getting amongst the votes. She's the champion there. Fugle Nelg, Ange Moritz stands out, Madison Freeman, El Cockburn, and Jess Allen of the Crow Variety and Brianna Walling of the Crow Variety as well. Goals, all um, goals for Westies were singles to Tab Biddle Killian, as in Rachel Killian of the Crow Variety, Abby Holmes of the Crow Variety, Ali Evans, Evan Smith, and Rochelle Martin. Lexi Edwards kicked both of Glenelg's goals. And North Adelaide must have had their wheat picks 14-9-93, defeating Sturt two behinds. Well, the Roosters were caught a hoot with a massive 93-point win over the double blues, who were more likely the triple blues by the end of it, if you don't mind. And poor blues, after registering their first win last week, were brought crashing back down to earth. Now, young Caitlin Rosenswy and Christy Castle on the hill, Ed Sheeran reference, couldn't help myself, had a field day booting four goals apiece. Former captain Jeff Edwards, please stand up, take a bow, 28 disposers, one goal, five tackles. The Blues had absolutely no answers as they were monstered by North Adelaide, who are firming as premiership favourites. I can't believe I said that out loud, but they certainly are. North Adelaide, Jeff Edwards, as mentioned, 28 disposers, uh, bowls 24, Daniel and Kat Reynolds, love seeing her name come up again, 16. Britt Perry, um, who they are loving being back in the side. Christy Castle on the Hill, 14. Caitlin Rosen, 13. For Sturt there, Nicole Baker, 14. Caitlin Swanson, Tess Maple, 12. And Casey Fraser, 11. Goals to North Adelaide, because they're the only ones that got scored. Christy Castle, Caitlin Rosen, Esther Bowles, Jess Edwards, Lauren Daniel, Talia Radan of the Crow Variety, and Britt Perry. On the Saturday at Norwood Oval, Norwood saw the light. Unfortunately, it was the light of the South Adelaide train coming right at them. <laughs> 2 four, 16 South Adelaide, Norwood, a shocking three behinds. Well, the steam train is back in service and delivering the goods after a tight and very low-scoring, very, very low-scoring tussle at Cooper Stadium, and they weren't even under the shocking light that the Crows had to play under that no one seems to be talking about. Um, and that was Saturday afternoon, which was the curtain raiser to the Crows' Carlton game. It was an even team contribution, you'd say, from South Adelaide. Captain Christy Harvey was the one to finally break the drought and register the first goal of the game, or repeat, of the game in the seven-minute mark of the final quarter. Final quarter. The, and believe it or not, the Red Legs actually had more of the ball inside 50, but just could not make it count. Um, Crow Sally Riley found plenty of it with 27 disposals. She's trying to get back into the team. Joe Hill registered all of Norwood's three points, probably leaving her with goalkeeping practice this week, I am sure. South sits second on the ladder now by the smallest of percentage, 0.24. Thanks to the 93-point drubbing the Aroosters handed out to the Blues. So... In saying that, next this this weekend, round six, it is first versus second on the ladder. Down at South Home Deck, 5pm, Saturday the 10th of March. Please, Peter, ask me who I'm picking, South Adelaide or North Adelaide at the, I, on that day. I reckon the Roosters will win, but I reckon you're going to tip the Panthers. You would think that, Peter. You would. 
But as much as it pains me, and I hope Chrissy's not listening, Maddie, please forgive me, I think I'm going to have to go to the Roosters. Wowee. I know. But their form coming in and their scoring power may just hold South Adelaide accountable on their home deck. Also on, also on Saturday at 6pm, Glenelg play host to Norwood. Yes, uh, I think Norwood also, North and West are the two teams left trying to keep in touch for that top three, Magic top three. Norwood will be too good for Glenelg. And the final game of the round, Saturday 7.45pm, West Adelaide and Sturt. I think we know the answer to this question. It would have to be uh, upset of the century if Sturt can get over West. It's nothing against Sturt, but just considering last week's game was 93 to two points. Um, West Adelaide are going to want as much percentage as humanly possible and I'm expecting them unfortunately to inflict a bit of pain on Sturt Well Ali thank you very much again for joining us here at Girls Play Footy for those that want to check out the Two Crows podcast for everything Adelaide Crows where can they find it? You can find us at Two Crows Podcast on Twitter and finally now we are available on iTunes, Podbean YouTube, everywhere else you can find us down the supermarket, probably handing out flyers. But we're back. Uh, please subscribe, share, and like, and hope you have a laugh. And that wraps things up for yet another week here at Girls Play Footy. Don't forget, for all the latest women's footy news, you can head to girlsplayfooty.com or search for Girls Play Footy on social media through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm Peter Holden. I'll catch you again same time next week.